0: We've been kind of talking through some things, and uh, what we're asking folks to do is, if uh, kind of kind of going by somewhat of what the school does, if your child is has an infectious uh, sickness. We're asking you that you keep them with you, um, and if they don't go, we just don't want to have an epidemic among our children that has certain spread they have fever or they're, you know, that communicable uh, diseases that they want to take away from. Just keep them with you. That would be awesome. Um, so God bless you in that. Uh, let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, that you uh, can come to you, Lord. We want to lift you. We want to exalt you as the one and only. Lord, the, only, the one and only King, the one and only God. Lord, I pray uh, today, God, that as we start looking at these gods that are at war within us, that, Lord, we would sense Your great love for us, oh God, as we... That, as we as look at them and we identify them, Lord, we, we also want to be honest before you, but also to, Lord, that in love you confront those things and that you want us to deal with those things because you want the very best for us. And so, Lord, we bring our hearts to you. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us, that you would teach us, that you would just speak your heart over us today. We give you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. And so last week we we began this this new series called God's at War. Um, The intention, again, the purpose, the goal of this series is that we take this honest look at our own hearts and our hearts to identify those things that keep us from total devotion and surrender to Jesus. Uh, the, the, The basis and the foundation of all sin is idolatry. And again, as I just pray that God confronts those things in our life, He is convicted. And that's one of the things that Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, that He would convict. And so He challenges it so that we respond to that conviction. So it's, 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 it's more than just Him convicting us, it's our response to that conviction. That that. that that ultimately brings us freedom and saying, Lord, well, what are you saying to do?" that? God can friends that He can out of His great love for us because He does have the very best in mind. As I stated the last there's a battle that wages in each of our hearts. And it's the spiritual battle that Paul describes. It's a battle that has two opposing forces. The first one, is that person that God has called each of us to be, that we were created to be in a relationship with God through Christ, ultimately to bring glory to Him in how we live our lives, to love Him, to serve Him, to live for Him, that in all, every part of our lives that we are giving our hearts to Him and living His way, from the way He has called us to live. And so the second that is, is that opposing force that Paul describes in Romans 7 is there's a sinful nature that opposes what I just described. The sinful nature is self-serving. It's self-seeking. It's self-promoting. It makes excuses for why we can't or or shouldn't live a life to God. And so it's a a battle of flesh and spirit. And no one's exempt from that battle. We can't just opt out of the battle and say, well, I'd rather not have that battle. We, there, there, there is no one on the earth that is outside of that battle. We're all in it. And that's the battle that we face day in, day out. And ultimately, it's a battle for our hearts. And, and I, I shared this passage last week from Proverbs 4. It says, above all else, guard your hearts, for everything you do flows out of it. Above all else, guard your heart, So everything that we do, Flows from the heart, and so the idols that we deal with are those things that take the place of God in our lives. The things that we put before Him, the things that we run to instead of Him. And so, last week we began with an overview of the series, and so this week we're going to begin to look at specific items in our lives. Again, identifying them honestly and confronting them. And by God's grace, remove them from our hearts. Um, I said a little bit of this last week. That remember in the Old Testament times, um, when you had those two kings, you know, the, the the one that I think of more more often is is Josiah, who came to the throne. He had just had a father and grandfather that were godless. That I mean, they were just way out and you know, way out there in left field, and they were doing some very wicked things. And then Josiah becomes king at eight years old. And some time goes past, and someone reads the book of the law to him and he's hearing things like, you know, we, that, that there should be no other gods before the one true living God. He says, you know, he's, he's a little boy, you know, he's, all that he's known in his short little life is godlessness and idleness. And so a little bit later on, someone, they grieve him and they read the law, and he is cut to heart. I mean, he is, he is just grieving, saying, so we have offended God, and, and, and so he begins this systematic removal of the gods in the land, he smashes them, he gets rid of them, he confronts them, and he, gets, he, 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 he gives the land, and, and, and he was a very godly, gracious king. And so that when we confront these things, and see some things, they would confront certain idols and say maybe these were the big issues, and then they would leave little idols in the sense that that they would get rid of these and they would leave these in the high places and they they wouldn't deal with all of them. In other words, they were leaving their options open. And God wants us to confront them, remove them by His grace from our hearts and walk in freedom. So today we're going to look at the God of pleasure, or Gods of pleasure. "Quote: God gives us things to enjoy by His grace, but they become sin when we long for those more than God, when we put those above Him and before them. That kind of a destination of God's of pleasure, the Gods of pleasure. And so, again, we must identify them, confront them, and by God's grace, remove them. We're in a we, we live in a culture. Of pleasure in the United States, Um, one pastor that I heard recently, he said it's very difficult, very challenging to be a fully surrendered Christian in America. Because I think this may be the most prominent idol in our culture, or idols, the gods of pleasure. Pleasurable things aren't necessarily bad. However, it is what we do with them that gets us in trouble. Let me take you on a little, uh, little parable, little journey here. Suppose your parent and you give your child the gift of a new game system. Some of our teenagers remember those days, and maybe a bit of walking in those days. This child wants this game system. I mean, more than just about anything. It's very expensive. It's going to be an investment. You know that they've been wanting it. And you want to bless them. As a parent, you really want to bless them. So you give it to them and you surprise them. Maybe on Christmas, maybe on birthday, maybe just say a random thing and say, you, will, you, know, you know, as parents, we wanted to give you this gift. And what is the response? They're overjoyed. There are an abundance of faithfulness. There's hugs. There's maybe in some cases tears. We've been waiting for this. And so, as a parent, you are touched in your heart. The this, this investment was worth this thankful moment. You watch them enjoy it. They set it up and they getting ready to play with it. They're anticipating, you know, this first moment and they maybe have played it at a friend's house and now this is theirs. You ask them a question and then you begin to see right away maybe an unhealthy friend that can't talk right now. And they start forgetting that you're even there. Then you see one unhealthy trend lead to another. They are waking up. It's the first thing they want to do is play this game. They're thinking about it all the time. They stay up late playing it and thinking about it. They're talking to their friends about it. They can't. uh, They can't participate in family functions because of it. They're talking incessantly about it. They're reading magazines about it and tips and tricks of beating the newest game. They then make this other transition that you begin to see. They begin to talk about the newest system that just came out. That's bigger and faster and better graphics than the one that they just had. It's just way better. And then all of a sudden conversations are now about how they wish they had that new system. Even to the point of frustration that you just won't drop everything and run to the store and, and get that new system and well, you got the other one. And by the way, my, one of my best friends has that newest system. It is awesome. You have to see it. They even start sulking and getting angry even to the point maybe of saying, you don't ever get me anything. Then the transition goes that they grow tired of the system that they have. They grow tired of it altogether. You go in the room and there's trash laying on it. There's dried up sticky top and half-eaten food laying on top of it. The controller doesn't work right because they haven't really been taken care of it. So what, what happened? Why, why did this good gift go so wrong? You couldn't have anticipated the day that they were hugging you in tears saying that this would eventually happen. It happened because the gift became more important than the giver. The child became consumed with the gift. The gift, again, was not wrong or evil. I know that there's some games that are, they need to steer clear from it. Talk about that. we some just talking fun, innocent games. But when the gift becomes more important than the giver, it becomes idolatry. Now, before you parents give your kids that look about gaming systems or phones or computers, do we do that with other things? Gifts that God has given us in this life—pleasurable things—that we have become so consumed with. Because as a Father, all all good gifts come down from the Father of life. And He gives us things in this life. This life is not intended to just trudge Him through and just kind of make it through. He gives us good gifts to enjoy by His grace, but they become sin when we long for them more than we long for Him. When we put those above Him and before Him, remember the first commandment: "Shall have no other gods before Me." They become a problem when we don't use them within the parameters that He's given through His Word. When we get out of God's ways of doing them and put pleasure before Him, ultimately what it leads to is that it leaves us empty, wanting more unfulfilled, depressed at times, more anxious, more worried, and discontent. I shared this about Solomon last week. Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, we have him journaling about him going to the extent on all of these types of idols. And that's why we have that story Is to read his life and say, God help me, because he did it. He did it all to the ultimate degree. And pleasure was no different. He took pleasure to the nth degree with feasting with... Again, he had a thousand women at his disposal. I don't need to get too graphic there, but you can understand why he did that. And so he took this whole idea of pleasure to the nth degree. Again, the gods of pleasure, they often begin as good gifts from God. Food... Entertainment, sexual relationships, relationships in general, hobbies, relaxation. None of these are are sinful in and of themselves. They're good things that God gives us out of His love for us. But too often we find that we are living for pleasure. It's what motivates us to get out of bed in the morning and go to work. It's what our relationships, our time, and our money often revolve around. And without even realizing it, we find that we are worshiping God the fudge instead of the God who gave us those gifts to enjoy. Again, we just have to look at our culture. People are look, they look for the, they're looking forward to the weekend. They're looking forward to, they're working toward. There's a goal in mind. Maybe the weekend, that's a short-range goal. Isn't everybody You can't wait till it's Friday? Instead of saying, God, what do you have for me on this Monday, Monday? What do you want to do in and through me instead of saying, I'm just going to trudge through, I'm going to just grit down, and I'm going to bore through until I get to Friday, and when I punch out and I'm, whoo, here we go. Is not that culture? Or a vacation? I'm not saying the weekends are wonderful, and vacations are wonderful, and I hope that you're tracking along with me. But when it becomes something that we still look forward to, instead of God walking with us through that, that the vacation is not peace itself. That Jesus is the Prince of Because if we are looking towards that goal of vacation, what happens at the end of vacation? It's the person, isn't it? Where you like us, oh, so where we have to travel to go see family, and we get back, and now we need a vacation from the vacation. We're tired of driving. It's we—it's the importance that we put on it. And so how do we identify when pleasures, when God's pleasures have become idols? And so here's some questions that we, we asked a little bit last week, and, and, and these are kind of more, again, framed specifically. What do we turn to when we are hurting? When we're going through a hard time? When we're anxious? When we're worried, when we're stressed, what becomes our comfort? That ultimately, if you as you're tracking along and maybe you're answering those internally, those become our God. Here's the problem with God's the pleasure: that there's no end. Again, if you look to those to fulfill you, if you look to those to answer those questions that I just asked, it leaves you empty and needing more and more something greater. That's why addictions are attached to the gods of pleasure. You, you need more and more. We love the way it makes us feel. And I listed those, I'm going to get into those in specifically in a moment. But what becomes our justification is we, we deserve it, we need it. Or we say, people don't understand what I'm going through, and so that's why I do this. So we'll go to that. We justify in our own hearts and our own minds. When pleasurable things become what ministers to us it gives us hope, peace, joy, contentment. That's idolatry. The Bible has a lot to talk about when it comes to what is true hope, what is true joy, what is true contentment and we find those things in Christ. Christ. That's why Paul said in Philippians 4, I've learned to be content in all circumstances. Well, what was the revelation he had there? Well, at the end of that 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. That's why before he's talking about contentment, I've learned to be content when my my belly is full, my belly is empty, when I have much or if I have little. In other words, my contentment's not based on those things. My contentment is found in Christ alone. And when those things begin to minister to us, that's when we have crossed that line into idolatry. When you're living for it. Um, just tell you some of my own struggles. My, my I I, I lived through this and and, and I shared some of this in, in different um, sermons, but it, it really fits here. But I, I had an addiction to sports growing up. Sports became kind of an idol, I a big idol in my life. Um, entertainment was not short. You know, as a little kid, I did. You know, in, in all my in all my uh, in that old school book that you have. When I grow up, I want to be either a professional baseball player, football player, or basketball player. So I failed in all three of those. But by um, God's grace, I'm a pastor. So. And I was consumed with it because it was, again, it was something that was very valued in my home. Life revolved around Sunday football, watching the game, or Saturday college. And I got to, in my teens, where it didn't really have to be any team that I was very interested in. I just had ESPN on, and we were just watching games just to watch games. When we were first married, it was, it was very consuming to me. And, uh, you know, my wife, who doesn't mind that I watch games here and there and, and now and then, she but she asks me, like, um, so, you like, know, do you like either one of these things I said, well, no, not really. And just in her mind, she can't fathom why in the world I would be watching this. So I'm like, well, it's a game. It's something to do. It's a game. And so I taught myself, you know, watching, you know, from football season and that would be over and then you'd be kind of depressed or, you know, your, your mood rises and falls with wins and losses. That might be an indication that there's an idol in your life. Come on now. You guys know what I'm talking about. Men know what I'm talking about. Really, wiser, like, yes, we do. I remember the year that Gary Anderson missed the field goal. Everybody kind of just, just like to be either a giggle or a sigh because you guys remember that. Should have won that game. The Vikings should have won the Super Bowl that year. I remember Pastor Tom and I went to this gathering the next day. Uh, they were, there was some kind of open house, thing. I don't remember what it was. There was a lot of people in the community that Monday morning and they had coffee. We walked in there and I thought I was at a funeral. Because the hopes of the state were resting on that year where they had this high-powered offense and they were supposed to win it all. And... Gary Anderson, who hadn't used the football all year, shakes one, and it was like a state of mourning that had rested. It was gloomy and cloudy that day. I mean, like, I think people will uh, a cloud cover. Not laugh about that, because I've been there. I mean, I did, t- uh, did cheer for a team that did win a goal, actually, but uh, that's... Sorry, sorry, I'll be glad I but I do, I mean, if you're tracking along where your your mood rises and falls, and I, that was me, and then I would get into where I was playing sports and my identity and my, you know, and, and my, the, the accolades of performing well, and then things were suffering. I mean, my marriage was kind of suffering, and, you know, I would go from basketball in the winter, Open League basketball, to softball, to summer softball, to fall softball, to back around to basketball, and I was doing this, and, and you know, and, 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 and you're, and, you're trying to feel better about yourself, to perform well, get passed on the bag, that was awesome. And then if you have a bad game, it's depressing. It's an indication of an eye. Or movies, the entertainment. I can't wait for that next movie comes out. Or, you know, we really talking about it. And have you seen those people that line up? I mean, tickets are on sale at midnight. And people are there all day camping out to get the tickets to the movie. Like in a year you'll see on DVD. But we have to see the world premiere. People dressing up like the characters. That's probably an indication we have another problem. But when our hopes and our emotions rest on those things, and whatever it is, and maybe you're laughing at someone else, and you got yours, you know what I'm talking about. Concerts, whatever it is. We have those, and our moods rise and fall. And it makes you happy for the time being, you know. You again, some people that, that, that like certain sports, like you know, they look forward to the fall, and it's football season. We got a rush home to watch. And I, I, I watch the game. I don't, I don't care if they watch the game; it's great. But when it becomes what brings you hope, and then they lose, and then you're depressed, those are things to watch out for. So God gives good gifts, and and you know, again, He gives us things to enjoy. In this life, food, for example. I mean, the flavors that are out there, you know, that, that God can bring flavors together like that. And we enjoy food. The Bible talks about feasting, and there were times of feasting and enjoying. But then, what happens is when it becomes what ministry to us, when we go to that, when I'm anxious, worried, stressed, or whatever that trigger point is, now it now it has gone before more than just me enjoying it by God's grace. It is what has become my ministry, my personal ministry. And then you can have addictions to food and not enjoying it the way God intended it within the parameters, or sex. This is probably one of the pervasive in our culture. That God gives the gift of sexuality to human beings. It's a gift. Yes, the chief the, the thing was to be fruitful and multiply and, and procreate, but there was also a pleasurable thing that went with it. That God gave as a good gift. And so then again, in stewardship, what has man done to it? It becomes what ministers to me. It becomes what I need, I have to have. And that's why in our culture, you see, the porn industry has exploded. It's a 1000000000 dollars industry. Pervasive. Or sexuality that sells and you, know, you see it on commercials and advertising. It's all around us, this, this idea of sexuality. And so now it has become something more than just a gift from God to enjoy within the parameters that He's given it to us. Now it becomes, it's a consuming thing and I have to have more and more. Then we have sexual addicts all over the place. People that are watching things that they know that they shouldn't be doing or in a relationship that they shouldn't be in and it's outside of the parameters because now it has something I have to have and it's ministering to me in a certain way. And see, so God gives me gifts and then He, and he says, Here, here's a gift, but it's intended to be to have parameters. It's like, and I think I've used this analogy before, but, it's somewhat like he gives you a sports car, and, 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 and my dream sports car is a porch, and i probably said that before. So you comes everything in a Christmas gift, That would be great. Not a toy one. People have done that before when I said that. I'm just kidding. You don't have to do um, Unless God the in the then you'll But God gives you a porch, and he says, here's the gift of sexuality, and it's a sports car. And then what we do is we say, "Okay, God, I know better than you." So then we take it off-road of and we take it four-wheel driving, and we just kind of—if you were the giver of that gift, you would be thinking, "What are you doing?" If you're going to treat it like that, get the gift back. And it's, so it's not God withholding. He just—and then we get angry at God, when we rail at God and say, "Well, you're trying to hold out on to me." He says, "No, I'm trying to help you to enjoy it to the fullest." And we have a blueprint that he says in Genesis 2 that Jesus repeats in Matthew and that Paul repeats in Matthew and uh, in, in Matthew. Paul repeats in season 5. The sex is supposed to be within marriage between a man and a woman for a lifetime. That's the parameters. That's what he thinks. This is a gift to be used in those prayer. Anything outside of that is sinful. It's idolatry. And I'm not trying to be lost. I'm trying to help you to know that God wants the very best for you. That He deeply loves you, and He's saying, "I want you to enjoy it the way I have intended it to be." And then we see that in culture, it gets really messed up. But God doesn't change His mind. He set it out; it was His idea. Entertainment—that's another one. Entertainment's not bad within itself, but when it becomes that thing we look forward to so much and it's ministering to us and it brings us great hope that, man, I'm going through a hard season, I can't wait till, you know, the release date of that movie. Or sports events, that's entertainment. Or another thing can be hobbies that we throw ourselves into. Again, those are not wrong. In and of themselves, they are gifts from God. But when we don't Steward them the way God intended. When we don't handle them the way God intended, it it will lead us to frustration and discontent. And God, in His mercy, allows that to happen because He wants the best for us. Again, our culture is very hedonistic, and that word "hedonistic," if you're not familiar with it, it's it's Basically, it's 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 pleasure. It's living for pleasure. If It feels good. Do it. Do not withhold anything from yourself. It's sensational. It it it, it it's all about intensity. Listen to what John says in First John 2, 15 seventeen. Do not love the world or anything in the world. Again, what he's talking about, it's not wrong to enjoy things, but what he's talking about is love when you giving your heart, when you're worshiping him. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life kind of buries the, all sin within this context here because comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires of pleasures, there it is, they pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. It's a great passage just to get in your heart. If you're taking notes, it's a great one to write down. And what does he say? Those things, those worldly pleasures, those worldly desires, they pass away. They're not eternal. And that's why he says, that Paul says, I get my eyes off on the temporal. I don't live for the temporal. I can be content with having much or little. I enjoy the temporal while I'm on the earth in the right way, but ultimately it'll pass away. The relationships, the, the sexuality, the entertainment, the hobbies, the things that we throw up, they're going to pass away till what is eternal will last forever. That's what we're living for. So enjoy them the right way again, but don't live for them. And so how do we battle against the gods of pleasure? Um, we're going to take a look at uh passage in 1 Kings 18. A lot of you are familiar with this passage. And so it's a showdown here of some sorts between Elijah and the prophets of Baal, the prophets of Asherah. And it kind of boils down to a battle between the true and living God to, to fake gods. And, and, and then this idea of battling against pleasure, we're going to look at this passage. Um, in context, um, I'm, going to, I'm going to read a couple passages that are not up there, and then we'll go to the passages that you'll see up there. Um, Ahab is the king of, of Israel. He is very wicked. He lives for himself. He is married Jezebel. Um, in 1 Corinthians 16, says Ahab, son of Omni, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Amri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He was a wicked king. And then he married a woman named Jezebel who was a princess of the Sidonians. She set up an altar and a temple for the god of Baal in Samaria. She had many prophets of the Lord killed. And then God, in said Jezebel, eventually had had enough and he sent to the prophet Elijah to Ahab. And here's what Elijah says in in First uh, Kings seventeen one. He says, if "The Lord God got into the list whom I serve. There will be no, neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at My word." So Elijah told him, "You know, here's the consequences to your wickedness. It's going to be a drought that's coming. Living in a farming area, we understand the significance of having a drought. It's not good. It affects everything." And so the first thing that we get out of the story before we uh, go into the, uh, the, the, the passage of Scripture here is don't expect God to bless that which is competing with Him. If it's competing with Him, He will not bless it. That's why He wants to... He, again, He gives us good gifts and He gives us things to enjoy, but when they compete with Him, He does not want us to enjoy them. Listen to this. Baal was originally thought of primarily as the god of weather. So you see what God's doing here. He's withholding His blessing in the very area where they have put God and put their trust in a God. Is His flesh. And so sometimes this may sound familiar. Are Are you the most frustrated in the very areas of your life that you care most about? You pursue pleasure in one area and it, end up, and it ends up being your greatest area of frustration. You put the entertainment, food, sex, hobbies ahead of God and it leaves you in a more empty, more frustrated way. It's, not, it's enjoyable for a time and a season, but I'm talking about lasting. And here's the thing you can't expect God to bless those areas when they have taken His place. And so when they lead to emptiness and frustration, that's ultimately conviction. That's God's gift to us to say, come back to me. And so the Israelites are worshiping Baal, the god of rain. And so what does God do? He sends a drought. So after a few years, Elijah comes to Ahab and sets up a showdown between God and all the the gods of uh, Baal and Asher. And here's 1 Kings 18, 19 through 21. It says, Now some of the people from all over Israel to meet on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah to eat at Jezebel's table. So they have words throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, Follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. It's interesting that they said nothing. So he's saying, how long will you waver between two opinions? This kind of sounds like, remember when Joshua gave his farewell address? You need to pick who you're going to serve. That's for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. But you need to choose. you, You will choose. Not choosing is not an option. You will worship something. It's interesting that the people said nothing. And I wonder here, was it because they wanted both? They wanted their false gods and they wanted the one and true living God also? If they wanted Baal and not God, they would probably have said, we choose Baal. I mean, there's 850 false the prophets around so today. They, they have the numbers going for them. And so if they would have just chosen Baal and said, you choose Baal, I think they may really have wanted both. So they're They didn't want to be forced to choose one or the other. Instead of having a throne on their hearts where God reigns, they kind of had a love seat where they could have the God of pleasure and they could have the fake God. But they, want, they want God too. They want the true living God to be sitting there too. We'd like for them to share space with that, but we don't want to choose. So oftentimes it's a God of pleasure that we ask Him to sit next to. God, I don't want to be rid of You. I just want You to be there too. Maybe you live that life one foot in the world, one foot with Jesus, and we kind of try to straddle that line. We live day to day, and it can be, again, a God of pleasure and the one and true living on So the stage has been set It's a competition between these 850 false gods and the one true living God and the gather on Mount Carmel with several thousand witnesses probably. And so here's what it says. Choose one of the bulls and prepare first since there are so many of you calling the name of your God but do not light the fire. So they took the bull, given them, and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. So the, the competition was set up is, is that we will pray to God Whoever ever seems fired to consume. That's the one who living really God. And, and everybody was good with that competition. So they started crying out, oh, Baal, answer us. They shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar that they had made you and, and Elijah began to taunt me. So a little trash talk in the midst of the uh, competition. Shout louder, then. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he's in deep thought or busy, traveling. One translation says maybe he's using a bathroom. So he's kind of talking a little smart to them. So maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he needs to be awakened. And so I, I always think it's funny. to so they got it to Elijah. start listening to Elijah. They shout about it, and then they slap themselves with swords and spears, as with their custom until their blood flow trying to get this, to God's attention. And so, this could seem a little bit crazy and somewhat irrelevant to us today. We, we might have never literally believed for a false God, but maybe spiritually we have. Have you ever bled for Alcohol? Have you ever sacrificed relationships for that, God? Again, this is one of the questions that I didn't get to and got questions about specifically alcohol. Can a Christian drink alcohol? Well, the Bible does not say that a Christian can't drink alcohol. There's two sins when it comes to alcohol. Number one is drunkenness. If you were doing it to alter your state of mind, it's a sin. Don't be drunk with wine. We're told over and over, do not get drunk because it alters your ability to discern, to make right decisions. Obvious things, if you ever see anyone that is, is drunk, um, it, 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 they're all over the place. Number two, then the second sin that's associated with it is through a to others. Because some people have a personal conviction, maybe it's in their families. Alcoholism it, it, it was in my mom's family. It was, it was a raging a demonic thing that was in my mom's family. And so some people have that and they go, you know, I can't get near it because I'm, I, don't, I don't know if I have the ability to control myself. And so some people have a personal conviction. so, Or some people maybe, uh, what Paul says, you know, that they have a weaker conscience. You wouldn't want to drink in front of those people. But, you know, Paul tells Timothy to take a little wine for your stomach's sake. Uh, there were scriptures in, in, in the Bible that talk about that they would feast and they would drink wine at times. But with the understanding that there are those simple lines that you cross. And if you can't tend to not cross them, then you don't do it. But some people have bled for alcohol, they sacrifice relationships, they've been abusive. Have you ever blessed for food? Or sacrificed your health to that God? Have you ever blessed for sex? Have you ever sacrificed your marriage to that God or other relationships to that God? Have you blessed your entertainment and sacrificed your relationship with your children to that God? So we see these people slashing themselves trying to appease these gods that are not listening. But have we done the same thing with the gods in our lives? See, if we're not careful, we will give more than we realize to the gods of pleasure, but they always demand more. Here's what it says in verse 29: Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying for the time for the evening so, but, but there was no response; no one answered; no one paid attention. See, the gods of pleasure—they take everything and they give you nothing. Again, they'll give you temporary pleasure. They'll give you temporary peace. They'll give you temporary happiness. But they really don't give you what you totally need in your heart. So the second thing is this, that God responds when we truly worship. So it's Elijah's term. He repairs the altar on the mountain that had been broken down. That's so much significant for repairing those places of worship that we have given over. Jezebel and her those false prophets, had gone up to this high place and there was an altar to God and they had torn it down. And so, Elijah repairs it where God alone had had once been worshipped. He did did the trench around the altar. He puts the wood on the altar and then places a bull on the altar. Finally, he dresses the altar with hundreds of gallons of water. So why does he do that? He wants them to be sure that when God answers, it's real. Then he steps forward and he just prays a simple prayer. Let's look at that. Oh Lord God, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that You are God in Israel and that I am Your servant. Prove that I have done all this at Your commandment. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young wool, the wood, the stones and the dust. That's a powerful fire. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord, He is God. so how do we walk in freedom from the gods of pleasure? It's more than just removing it from the place of our hearts. We must put something or someone there, lest we trade one idol for another idol. That's why we must continually put Jesus Christ first place in our lives we must daily surrender to Him, give our hearts to Him. That's why like Jesus said, if you want to be my follower, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to come with me where I'm going, you must take up the cross daily and follow me. Take up the cross daily. What is that cross? The cross is that, again, I write to ourselves, a, 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 our God who nail those passions to the cross and follow me. And what does Jesus say? Do it daily. Living for Jesus daily. In relationship with Jesus daily. So we live daily surrendering our hearts. Get up in the morning. God, I need you today. Jesus, I need you today. I don't want to live for the things of this world. Help me to enjoy the things that you've given me within the right parameters. But God, help me not to make those gods instead of you. Help me not to look to those things to minister to me, to bring me hope, to bring me peace, to bring me contentment, that ultimately won't do any of those things. I love what Elijah says of how long will you waver between two things? If we put Jesus on the throne of our hearts, not a love seat with both Him and the God of our pleasure sitting there. So, Jesus invites us to come to Him in a new way today. Not in a way of condemnation. Not in a way of shame. Again, the intention, I hope that you're tracking on the intention of this series is that we honestly look and we confront and we allow the Holy Spirit to convict us out of His deep, intense love for us. Just like somebody that you would care about you know, especially we, we understand it with like a small child when they are bent on doing something, and we refrain them from doing it because we see a bigger picture at play that this could be dangerous, this could be harmful to you, and we refrain them from going near something. And all they see is a, a something of pleasure, something to enjoy. They begin to cry. They begin to you know act like that you have ruined their day, and you. In your heart, you, you understand, and maybe they can't, but that you see this that is done out of great love, and that is what God does. He sees the big picture in our life. When He confronts and He convicts, thank Him for that. Don't look at it as the same condemnation. Oh man, I love football so much, and it has to come. But recognize it. Repent and say, God, thank you for pointing that out. No, I put that, I put that away from me as my source of hope. Now I can actually watch a football game without my emotions rising and falling with it. And our field goal kickers can miss as many as they want. And we just don't care as much. But we understand that Jesus walks with us and loves that he has so got That plan, one of these days in eternity, all this stuff, you will see it. And compared to the glory that you will see one day, Give us faith. It's all going to pass away. So, don't waver between those two opinions. He loves us, and Jesus loves us, and he gives us an opportunity for a fresh start. Again, enjoy what He's given you, but recognize that or if it has become a goddamn and then simply repent, He hears your prayer and turn back to Him. And you stand. I'm going to pray for us and uh, also I'm going to pray for the um, meal down at the Park and as you get there you can feel free to go ahead and go through the line and, uh, and, and just begin to enjoy your, your day down there. Um, but let's pray and let's just kind of go before the Lord. I encourage you as I'm praying too that uh, you know, if the Lord's putting his hand on something just allow that and allow his love to watch over you and Somewhat see it from that perspective of that okay, you're his child and he sees the big picture. Don't, don't look at it as a shame and combination. That's the tactic of the enemy. And I've learned shame and combination. Um, I grew up with it. And here's what I know about it it doesn't help you change. It actually leads you to greater frustration. But hear the loving voice of your father that calls you out from that and back to him. So, Lord, we love you today. Lord, we honor you. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. God, we thank you that, Lord, you have our very best in mind. God, forgive us. Forgive me, Lord. I know, and even in preparation, Father, you showed some things to me Lord? what I have laid things at the altar of my God the pleasure. And I have valued those things and I look to those things to bring me contentment and joy and peace and hope the things that only You can bring. God, forgive us for, for when we've done that. Thank You for Your love and conviction. Thank You, God, for Your grace and Your mercy That's You every morning. God, pray that we would walk with Jesus every single day. Also, God, forgive us when we have taken the gifts that You've given us and Lord, we have done our own thing. We've mismanaged them. Lord, I pray that anyone in here that has dealt with that, God, that you would touch them, that you would bring them to love and repentance. Or maybe in entertainment. Maybe in food. Maybe in sex. Or in relationships. Where we've done it our way and not done it your way we would see your hand we would see the freedom that you want to give us see that in Christ is a new creation old things are passing away The we all becoming new and where the spirit of the Lord is there's freedom and that we would believe that we would live our lives for that and we would live our lives for you every day in Jesus name amen God bless you hope to see you down at the park and God bless your day and week weekend. la <laughs> la